Mouthing Off is a theater, arts, and culture podcast from Bad Mouth Theater Company in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Amanda Forstrom. I'm Kevin Couchman. And I'm Mari Sidner. Mouthing Off features compelling interviews and discussions with creators and artists from around the Twin Cities and beyond. Tune in for something different online where you get your podcasts at badmouthtc.com and on the air in St. Paul from Frogtown Radio 94.1 FM. We hope you enjoy the show. Melting off a theater arts and culture podcast online and on 94.1 FM Frogtown Radio. I'm Kevin Couchman coming to you with what I think will be in the parlance of our times, a certified banger. Cannot wait to introduce our guests. Before I do, my dear co-hosts, the dynamic duo, Mari Sittner in New York City. Mari, how are you? I'm doing I'm doing good. I'm ready for another one. Ready to maybe get a little esoteric with it today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're going to get a little esoteric. That's going to be okay. We'll come to it. And Amanda here in the great state, perhaps the greatest state, Minnesota. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Hello, Frogtown Radio listeners. We are back and it's yeah, it's going to be a great episode. Oh, yeah. I like that. It's called Frogtown. Uh, it's an you know it's a neighborhood in the Twin Cities. It's also kind of a fun, fun mimetic name. And our guest today, and I'm in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Kevin Kautzman. Our guest today is one of my very best friends, a close collaborator or collaborator of mine on another podcast called Art of Darkness, which I've mentioned a number of times, in which we're going to go into ad nauseum on this short hour. Brad Kelly. Brad, how are you? I'm doing great, Kevin. It's good to see you. And Amanda and Mari, good to see you guys. I'm excited to do this. This is this is a lot of fun. Hi out there in Frogtown. <laughs> Frogtown and beyond. Frogtown in yes. St. Paul and online. Right. Uh, indeed. Yeah. And Brad is in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Brad, mm-hmm. tell people about yourself. You're a, a novelist, a terrafont. A reluctant podcaster, a co-host <laughs> of a you you run a book club now with yeah. with me. So yeah, uh, tell people about yourself, Brett. A yeah. podcast husband. A podcast. Yes. I'm Kevin's podcast My, husband. Correct. Yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, all those all those things are correct. Uh, I'm a novelist. I have a book out there that people seem to like called House of Sleep. Um, I, uh, do a lot of thinking about the tarot. I do tarot readings. Uh, I do a lot of writing about the tarot on my, on my personal website, Brad Kelly esque. That's E S Q U E.com. Uh, and, uh, a major thing that has kind of kicked off in the last two years is the project that I do with you, Kevin. That is the art of darkness podcast, art of Um, and we've always got exciting stuff going on there. I mean, there's four or five or six episodes a month coming out, two of them being in-depth, multi-hour episodes on the life and work of an artist um, you might think that you know, focusing somewhat on the dark side, but but really, you know, you don't have to be, have a particular interest in darkness, I don't think, to enjoy Art of, dark, art of Darkness. I mean, we kind of make it fun. Um, 
Yeah, I like to think we illuminate the darkness. Yeah, and, and I think that's probably the best way to put it. Yeah, we endeavor to give fairly comprehensive profiles of dead artists, creatives, architects. It has a heavy literature focus, literature in the theater, because of my background as a playwright and, and Brad's background as a as a novelist. We also work to get really great guests. So the two main episode types are core episodes where we cover an artist. And I'm getting ready to, to do one tomorrow on Ernest Hemingway. And of course, on this podcast, we just had John Rosengren come on. Uh, oh. And yeah, I'm going to leverage, and he's a journalist here in the Twin Cities uh, who kind of got tipped off to the fact that Hemingway was at Mayo Clinic uh, through a play of mine believe it or not. And he went on and wrote an award-winning piece of, of journalism about Hemingway's last days at, Interesting. at the Mayo Clinic. Yeah. So I'm actually going to leverage a bit of his, of that article when we do that episode, but the other episode type we call dark rooms. And that is where we, that's our bucket to host interesting guests and people and to do fun mm -hmm. things. And we actually did with bad mouth uh, recently, <laughs> we did a new, adaptation of a radio play by Antonin Artaud. So you can go back into the archive on Art of Darkness and see some of what, what Bad Mouth does. We just, and Brad has been doing a fabulous job getting more, uh, a, a, a genuinely diverse array, array of guests. And we just had on a fellow who, who is the new translator, a translator of a new edition of Kafka's Diaries. That was very cool, Brad. Yeah. yeah, that was a fascinating conversation just about about Kafka and German language and what it's like to translate and 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 all of that. That was I really enjoyed that conversation. And that was with Ross Benjamin. Ross so Benjamin. and then we and we're actually doing a darkroom episode this afternoon and then I think another one on Monday. It just does not stop. The Art of Darkness train <laughs> does not stop. Artofdarkpod.com. I also got to get this plug in right away. If you if you go to badmouthtc.com and you look, we have our new season online. We've got two readings, one from Mari, one from me. That's going to be at Waldman Brewery. Then we have our full production of Sean Raycraft's One Good Marriage over in Minneapolis. And then the fourth piece of this spring season is going to be, Brad, do you care to say? Oh, yeah. Art of Darkness Live. Live, 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 live. Live, yeah, live, we're going to be uh, Kevin and I are going to be bringing the show to uh, to uh, Waldman Brewery. Uh, we're going to be presenting uh, the life and work of F. Scott Fitzgerald, part one. Um, we don't want to make people uh, part of the, the joy of Art of Darkness is we go long. We tell the whole story, um, but you're probably not going to want to sit on a bar stool for the four to four hours it takes to tell the Scott Fitzgerald story. So we're going to give you part one. Uh, we're going to make it fun. And then Badmouth Theater Company is also doing, Kevin, is this right? An adaptation of Fitzgerald's uh, short story, Winter Dreams. Correct. My thinking on the matter is that we're going to do Fitz's life with a heavy focus on the childhood and early life up until the point he writes that story or that story is published. And then we are going to do a little theatrical adaptation of the same. It's a great story. It's set in the Twin Cities uh, largely, and it is about unrequited love growing up and the scales of romance falling from your eyes as you mature uh, and how even, even success uh, can't necessarily buy you love or help you reclaim the dreams of your childhood. 
Winter wow. Dreams. Lovely wow, I story. I want to see this. I want to. I want to. I'm, I'm excited. I just came up with that. <laughs> that, was <pretty> <laughs> that was that was fantastic. <laughs> it's going to be a real hoot. And tickets for that are free. It's just a straight up RSVP. Uh, we already have some people who are going to be trekking some distance to come to this so we're really really uh really excited this is a, with waldman brewery just go to badmouthtc.com amanda awesome i was gonna uh, ask you kevin where other people can go to rsvp but on our website anywhere else art of dark pod no it's uh we've we announced it on our patreon for art of darkness which is at patreon.com slash art of dark pod but we're doing all of the ticketing through badmouth and it's just a straight ahead rsvp the room at waldman is modestly sized it is not a huge room so if you want to guarantee your spot for that in june go ahead rsvp uh the only caveat is that you got to spend money at walden and you yeah. will want to they're yeah. a great yeah they're our partner and you want to support eat, them get a drink yeah yeah oh mm-hmm. that sounds terrible spending <laughs> money on on great food and great beer oh listening to an amazing uh an amazing adaptation of f scott fitzgerald oh what a um, horrible june afternoon <laughs> it's gonna be a real chore uh cannot wait gonna be so much fun fun brad getting into what you've been doing for art of darkness uh mm. this year season are we calling it season three right season, season three, three yep. you kicked off with an absolute banger double banger mm-hmm. with joseph conrad who of course is the namesake for the pod his great novella heart of darkness do you mm-hmm. care to talk a little bit about what you learned uh there mm-hmm. sure yeah i mean th- these are these are always interesting so you know i tend to come in having varying levels of knowledge about the subject and joseph conrad was one where i was sort of in the middle about what i knew about him i'd read some of his work um knew knew sort of the first paragraph of wikipedia about his life um and so really fascinated to learn you know we call him joseph conrad really fascinated to learn that his sort of upbringing um as a the child of a of a polish revolutionary basically who spent a large part of his childhood um as a as a um in exile in northern russia uh <laughs> um and and a childhood you know just kind of rife with challenges um oppression uncertainty sort of lost with with no place in history in a way in his family right almost you become kind of culturally homeless in a way and then finding the sea um and then basically learning english as a fully grown maybe not quite an adult but you know a late teenager learning english um from reading william shakespeare and talking to sailors and then from that experience and going to some of the blank spots on the map, generating some of the greatest literature in in the English language. Yeah. yeah, an incredible story. And I would be remiss if I did not mention how completely insane it is that recently he was boulderized out of Roald Dahl's new editions and replaced by, was it Jane Austen? In that case, um, I, yeah, might have been. I know they got rid of Kipling and replaced Kipling with Steinbeck, mm-hmm. and they left Hemingway in. So this is, and I have a stack of books as half as tall as I am about Hemingway because I'm preparing to do this episode, and that will come out on Art of Dark Pod soon, artofdarkpod.com. Uh, and it is 
crazy that Hemingway makes the cut, but uh, Conrad does not. Brad, do you have any theories about why that might be? <laughs> well, you know Hemingway better than I do. I mean, the the reason that Conrad, I think, one reason you might dismiss Conrad. Well, let's be generous. Maybe you dismiss Conrad because people don't know that name. I think that's pretty unlikely. Um, uh, really, what it comes down to is there was a fad of interpreting Joseph Conrad's work, particularly Heart of Darkness and another volume that we'll just call Narcissus, uh, as being indicative of some just intense racism on Joseph Conrad's part, um, which to my mind doesn't represent a very close reading or clear understanding of what Conrad's project as a writer was. It's, 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 it's one of these cases where um, he talked about race somewhat. And so he must be, you know, he must be verboten, I guess. Um, so I think that's why they kicked him off. Two things I'll say about this. Steinbeck obviously is a man of the left, mm -hmm. was a man of the left. I don't yeah. know about his personal life. He, we will cover him eventually, but he is sure. a almost a, to a maudlin degree, uh, mm -hmm. a leftist, a uh, little bit cartoonish. Hemingway had a bit more nuance, but he was also ultimately a man of the left as a writer. But his personal life, and frankly, some of his letters don't pass muster by the same measure. Mm -hmm. So it it just to me, it just shows the hypocrisy and the impossibility of this. And I think the Roald Dahl estate should be and their pub. Well, I don't know about the estate, but the publishers yeah. should be driven from public life, uh, publicly shamed and uh, treated to uh, as much scorn as we could possibly heap upon them until they relent apologize yeah. and permanently ensconce the original copies of these classics on the blockchain so they are <laughs> uneditable and cannot be perverted by uh this this kind of uh retroactive nonsense but i don't know i just yeah. maybe i don't have too much of an opinion about the matter well, <laughs> well the one thing that has been the one i will say with the one bright spot about this uh, as a uh news article is one people are saying the names like joseph conrad and and hemingway and kipling and these things sort of in the pub in the mainstream of public conversation but also it seems like everybody disagrees with what happened just about. I, I have found very little of people saying, oh, no, this was the right thing to do, um, what what they did by boulderizing these works. So, so you know, maybe it's one of these things we can, you know, left, right, in the middle, we can all temporarily at least be on the same side about something. And, and, and that's kind of positive, I think. I have no problem when the work hits the public domain, people absolutely you do going you want. to town. Yeah. You can do whatever you want. But yeah. the idea that the the formally published editions of this would be retroactively rewritten truly is the stuff of dystopian nightmare uh, yeah. and should alarm everyone. Amanda. Yes. And I was going to ask uh, how Brad, if somebody did that to one of your novels, what, what would your reaction be as an, as an author and novelist? Yeah. yeah I mean, that's a, that's a good question because like, uh, you know, there is a certain you're open to editorial input, right? So like I will 
have beta readers and things and sort of be like, oh, okay, what, you know, what's your thoughts on that? And, and make, make subtle changes and take that input. Um, beta readers are these really submissive friends of yours? or <laughs> Yeah, they're just people who tell me it's awesome. They tell me how great I am. It's, it's helpful for my uh, emotional state. During Distinguish the, the, the beta phase from the simp phase. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to like, so without my, without my input, it, it's, it's, a, it's like a slippery slope, right? Because, hey, you know, somebody makes some minor changes, maybe they're fine. Maybe there's some typos that need to be fixed. But at some point it becomes, it's being corrupted for a in the moment political agenda of some kind, because this stuff always has an agenda to it. It's not like you, you didn't take it out of there because, um, you were going to even offend the children that might be reading these books. That's not why they took Conrad's name, that name out. Um, they're trying to massage, they're trying to massage, change what the story is and thereby somehow change history or, or something. Um, and that's, that's gross to me. I mean, that's repugnant. If you would take my stuff, like if I have stuff in my work that ends up being distasteful to future generations for whatever reason, then let them deal with it or not read it. You don't have to read this stuff, you know, um, but books are of their time. There's nothing you can really do about that. So I, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a pot. It's gross to me that it could happen, right? Because it, it starts to feel like, well, then whose work even is this? Does Correct. everything just have to be like managed by everything has to be sort of filtered through the committee of public consensus because mm -hmm. that's not a good direction for things to go in my opinion well i think one of the main issues with the whole thing and then we can lay off it after this is just the preemptive rebranding so that you know they're i think the estate is worried because of Roald dolls uh you know notorious anti-semitism mm -hmm. he's going to be quote unquote canceled and so they preemptively censor the books before anybody has a problem with his image right. in order to sell more books in the future which you know i'm, I'm just, it's you're you're right it's too current it's yeah. too yeah they're trying to rebrand for this specific moment in case anybody takes an issue with it which nobody has yet yeah <laughs> and i and i i too, the thing that really bothers me as an artist is that if so, if somebody manipulated, you know, different colors or brush strokes in a Van Gogh, you know, you're you're editing what this artist was trying to say and these exact words and this exact meaning at this exact moment in time, and I just find that so disturbing as an artist, you know, that it's not of of me anymore. It is of everybody else's opinion. This dovetails into the anxiety people are having around AI as well, because now we've seen what this can do. It's starting to trickle into everyday life, and it isn't a thought experiment anymore to wonder what it might be like in the future to say, hmm, I'd like to read, I'd like to read Hemingway. I'd, li I'd like to, to read uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls, and the AI generates you a current acceptable version. <laughs> of it. Amazon, when you go to order it, is printing it on demand with the latest 9.85C alpha version that's acceptable. And if you aren't reading that copy, you're in trouble. Like It's not that difficult to imagine this full-blown dystopian horror. 
Oh my gosh, Kevin, you even describing that just makes my spirit like just crumble inside of my body. It's just like, oh, how awful. Mara, you made a great point on the last episode, I think, or one of the recent episodes uh, on this podcast about how this is theater can stand afford this. We can, you know, you're in the room with people when you're at the theater. So come on out. Come on down. We'd love to see you at Waldman or or the Phoenix here uh, later this year. Brad, let's let's talk a little more about uh, Art of Darkness thus far this year. Um, if I may, I did an episode on Victor Groon, whom Minnesotans should know, because this is the uh, kind of quirky, intense refugee from the Nazis, an architect who came to Minnesota and created uh, Southdale, the first indoor mall and really changed the the landscape of America. So you can go and listen to that at Art of Darkness. Minnesotans should know that story. I mean, for better or worse, we kind of are the state of the mall. <laughs> uh, so um, just yeah, that was a, that was an eye opening. Yeah. Yeah, that was an eye opening episode for me. There were some Michigan um, t- touches there, too, because one of the early malls was 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 here. One of and designed by Grun. Um, Yeah, I learned a ton in that because you, you realize that how you kind of realize how planned the architecture of the culture is. I mean, we're not just talking about how a building looks. We're talking about how spaces operate. Um, and that's yeah, th- that was really eye opening. Yeah, you don't mm-hmm. think you don't think about these things as like somebody draw drew up your entire life environment on a piece of paper, right? Um, but they did, um, and he was one of them. They sure did, uh, and I've already said that I'm getting ready to to do Hemingway tomorrow. I want to hear a little bit about the next episode you're prepping. Ah, yeah, I am currently working on an episode, putting my notes together about David Foster Wallace, uh, the author of Infinite Jest and The Broom of the System and The Pale King and a bunch of other works who um, unfortunately died fairly young. Um, so it's real. It's really interesting. Real, um, real heavy, like Gen X. This is we're going right to the heart of Generation X's literary anxieties with this one. Um, it's it's going to be really interesting, I think. He's a incredibly sympathetic character, very, uh, you know, hyper intelligent, but also almost um, almost incapable of functioning as a as a normal human being. Um, So, yeah, it's just just a really interesting story. I think you're going to dig it, Kevin. And he played a lot of tennis, too, didn't he? Yeah, he's he's quite good at tennis, actually. Yeah. Mm. And we were on the Bird website on Twitter uh, today. There was a little exchange about the one of the critics who was quite savage to him in his life, but then had a change of heart after he... well, I don't. Exist. I don't know about a. I don't know about a, a change of heart so much as she decided that the biography about him was was great, um, but hmm. never really had much positive to say about his work. Um, and I just touched it. Just it struck a chord with me that that seemed a little. Um, we're gonna we're gonna have this sort of posthumous celebration of this guy's contribution to culture and literature and all of that, and she was taking pot shots pot shots at him the whole time um and you know now her name is on a blurb on the cut like mm-hmm. weird to mm-hmm. me yeah for for people who are not dfw pilled where would you yeah. recommend they begin 
Oh yeah, it's it's a little tricky. It, it depends on sort of what your thing is. I mean, Infinite Jest is a lot to take on. It, to me, it's worth the it's worth the haul. But it's they're talking about eleven hundred pages. Um, it's a lot to try and bite off, and it's not. It's a complicated novel. It's a purposely difficult novel to read. Um, I think the best bet is to probably start with some of his nonfiction work that appeared in places like Harper's uh, New Yorker and elsewhere. Um, uh, there's a book. Uh, he had two collections of of nonfiction work. The first one was called The Supposedly Fun Thing I'll Never Do Again. The title um, essay of that is about... <laughs> David Foster Wallace at the peak of his anxiety or one of the peaks of his anxiety going on a cruise ship. Um, and if you sort of, if that vibes with, if you were to read that and his, his, the way he sees the world vibes with you, then you're probably going to get a lot out of his other work. And then you can read his short stories, particularly the collection oblivion, I think is quite good. Um, you know, there's shorter, shorter pieces of work to digest in there. How did he see the world? That's a good question. Um, he he, you know, he's an interesting guy because he's clearly brilliant. Uh, but he comes from there's a sense in reading his biography where you're like, oh, this is a guy who was like a robot trying to learn how to feel, if that makes sense, right? And eventually he does, but at first it's very like you know, he goes into philosophy at first as a, as a student, but he's very interested in logic. You know, he's sort of like, can you, you know, can you write a string of if then statements that sort of tell you what the truth is or what a, being a human is? And eventually he's writing these, these deeply sentimental, and I don't mean, I mean that in a positive sense, um, sentimental and serious novels, um, about, you know, the human experience. So, um, it, it depends on where you, um, what point of your life you kind of stick your finger in, what what that perspective is going to be. But it's, um, it's you know, very much sort of jaded about the the infinitely available pleasures of modern life, right? So, so it's it has a sardonic attitude towards, you know, the whole thing about him going to the cruise ship is sort of like, is it good to just pay to go something and everything's just given to you, just like food nonstop and sound nonstop and light and everything is just sort of laid on your plate constantly. Um, so so there's some of that. There's there's a there's a skepticism about how good that is for you as a as a human being. And that's what a lot of infinite jest is about. Um, um and this isn't from a person who had a monk like separation from it. This is a person who struggled with his own addictions to from alcohol to nicotine to marijuana to television. I mean, he, he put, he considered television a drug and I don't think he was wrong. Um, he sort of predated, he predated social media as we know it now. So never really had to contend with that too much, but I'm sure he would have a very similar, very similar reaction. So yeah, he sort of saw it all coming. Yeah, he really saw it all coming. There's a section at the beginning of Infinite Jest where he mm -hmm. predicts uh, filters and face tuning. That was terrifying to yeah. read. Right. Wow. <laughs> well, now people are face tuning to see their older selves. Oh, man. This, I... this is not a man-made horror. This could never <laughs> go wrong. This will not break people's minds. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's all happening in these black rectangles, mm -hmm. which it, it's just too far beyond 
I, I like it, though. I do kind of like we live in such an interesting, wacky time. I'm not going to lie. It, it's a very exciting and interesting time. You know what What film I watched last night? Speaking of Gen X and their assessment of the situation, Idiocracy. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Which, very fun. Very mm. interesting uh, film that seems to... Uh, you know, you know, there is a sort of a, there is a possible reality where like David Foster Wallace could have written something like Idiocracy. Idiocracy is a little more mean spirited than DFW tended to be. But like that's, that's not that far fetched from the kind of thing that he might have come up with, I think. Yeah, indeed. Amanda. Yeah, I, I um kind of going off a, 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 different tangent i as you're preparing this episode did you ever two questions did you ever see yourself being a podcaster and two what what's been your favorite or most surprising episode of learning about an artist that just kind of you know either totally changed your mind during the research or blew you away in a way that you didn't expect yeah no those are good those are good questions um as as far as like the podcasting thing goes, I mean, I, I guess I've been taking and Kevin's been there for most of it, taking sort of shots at doing it over time with Art of Darkness being the most um, carefully thought about and strategized and sort of what are we do, what are we actually doing sort of effort. Um, and and that has paid off. Um, it is sort of interesting because for me, because uh, though I'm comfortable talking to people and and I don't get any I don't have any nerves about any number of people listening to me talk I'm also very introverted so like we have a lot of recording this week and come Tuesday of next week I will not want to talk to anybody about anything (laughs) (laughs) there is a quality of and and this is absolutely a a 50-50 collaboration Mm -hmm. but I've got enough extroversion for 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 the whole squat for sure uh and so there's a bit of a fire and ice quality there yeah 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 we have that yin yang thing that kind that kind of that kind of works out for us but um so yeah i guess i i I didn't but but it comes somewhat naturally especially the research and preparation and trying to put notes together that all that stuff all comes pretty naturally to me so i really do enjoy it and i'm the kind of person who tends to when I read a book, I tend to do some research about that person anyway. Like I just, well, what was this person's deal? And not, not as much as we do for these episodes, but um, yeah, certain, certainly I like doing it. So. Yeah. Is that usually how you pick your subjects? What do you, how do you, how do you pick subjects? How do you discover all of these crazy people? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's a mix of um, people that we sort of already know about. So it's like, okay, I, I read David Foster Wallace, you know, a long time ago, probably, gosh, 2004 or something like that. I think I read Infinite Jest. So um, he's somebody I've known about for a while. And I remember um, the news of his suicide. Um, I like it was that was like a do you remember where you were when you found out kind of situation for me. Um, and so that was one that's been on my radar. But then we did recently we did Maya Deeran and um, she was a she was a Ukrainian American filmmaker whose family had fled the Bolshevik revolution. And she ends up becoming this fund fun foundational member of the sort of experimental cinema community. Um, and also a, a voodoo priestess. Um, and I honestly, that one we discovered, I was just like, I want to do an episode on an, an early 
a woman filmmaker? Like who is who is a woman who's making a film, you know, before Hitchcock? Like, and I don't even remember how she came up, but I read a little bit about her, about her bio and like she is fascinating. <laughs> so so sometimes it's just like that. It's like where what spots are we missing? What spots haven't we talked about yet? And is there somebody in that spot that would be worth talking about? <laughs> and the subjects that you tend to pick specifically, I mean, you guys both have different tastes, tend mm -hmm. to veer a little bit more into the spiritual and the esoteric. Is that just an interest that you had prior? How did you, how did you get into that and develop yeah. that? Interest? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, uh, I guess, I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm more interested in that than that in that stuff than Kevin. Maybe I am. I don't know. But I definitely have an interest in that stuff. I mean, I, I'm very interested in sort of esoteric uh, uh, thinking and writing. Um, Kevin's, they, I've seen tarot cards pop up here. I'm very interested in, in the tarot. Um, and so like we did an episode on Pamela Coleman Smith, who is the illustrator behind the, the Rider Waite Smith tarot deck, one of the most popular and well, well known tarot decks out there. Um, and we will have other, we will do other subjects probably in that vein in the future. Um, yeah, Kevin. Yeah, and and this is going to dovetail nicely into the second portion of this episode, mm. where I believe Amanda is going to possibly pull a tarot card for Brad. But before she does, <laughs> just a reminder: you're listening to Mouthing Off, uh, theater arts and culture podcast from Badmouth Theater Company, BadmouthTC.com. Check us out. The new season is online. We got to shill it. You got to get out if you're in the Twin Cities. Let people know. We're making the culture. We're doing the thing. We appreciate you listening. There was a second part to Amanda's question, uh, and then we'll get to the tarot. And that was Brad the 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 episode that surprised you. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah I missed. Uh, yeah, um, the episode that surprised me the most, and I have found to be the most. Uh, it was a big rabbit hole that I still want to go further down. Even um, oftentimes we we get to that episode out, and I'm like, you know, that's. I feel like I know who that person is and, you know, maybe I'll read something from them in the future. Um, but I'm good for now. Um, plus the pace at which we're doing these episodes, we don't have a lot of time for extracurricular reading. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so the one that, that, that really remains sort of electric for me is, uh, Ernst Junge, who is the German author of storm of steel, um, mm. and a, few, a handful of, a handful of novels. Um, one of which, one of which, called on the marble cliffs has just been re-released and we're having the um the translator tess lewis on uh next week um so that one was big for me because i didn't know much about him the reason he was a good subject was because he was like a war hero who had these create these crazy stories about him in battle um and um I knew he'd lived for a long time and I knew that he had some intense opinions about stuff. That was pretty much all I knew about him before we went into it. And then as we were reading it, I was like, oh, I should be like, everybody should read a little, like everybody should be passingly familiar with some of his ideas, particularly when it comes to technology. Uh, mm. You know, he's a guy who lived through World War One, but he lived to be like 102. And so he sort of saw the entire 20th century happening and he was so disagreeable <laughs> that he was he was able to sort of stand aside from all of it but also was curious enough that he paid attention to it at the same time and so a lot of these things you know interestingly like 
David Foster Wallace, all of his anxieties about technology creating an environment in which we're given everything, Jung would have seen the same thing. I mean, he talked about the fact that you have to resist the mechanization of the world before it mechanizes you. Um, and, you know, with chat GPT and all these things, I think we're, you know, that that Titan is out of the box for sure. So mm. that one was a, that one's an excellent episode for me. Absolutely. For me, my experience you, of doing it was excellent. Yeah. And you crushed that episode. That was great. I learned a lot from that. Part of the joy of doing this podcast is sort of like something we would do anyway. If somebody made a great joke, I've said it a number of times, but it was on Twitter and it was like uh, men invented golf so they could take walks together and podcasts so they could have conversations. Uh, and <laughs> I quite like, yeah, but I like that Brad and I get to hand the baton back and forth. So he preps an episode. I prep an episode. There's never been a feeling of like, oh, I, I like Brad's episodes. We've never heard mm. that. It feels very of a part of a whole uh, and it, it, it's a lot of fun to do. And Junger, the the big uh, curveball there was for me was when he got together with Albert Hoffman, the man who invented LSD. That was yeah. unexpected. Yeah, yeah, you're you're yeah, you're talking about a a, a you know a man who was a German war hero during World War One and World War Two, who then was one of the first half dozen people to take LSD. It's just a very, it it really like warps your idea. It changes how you even think about the 20th century in a way. You know what that is? You know what I'm going to call it? Mm. That's the Swiss effect. The Swiss effect. You, the Swiss effect. <laughs> you kind of forget that it's there. <laughs> Don't sleep on the Swiss people. Okay. Okay. I'm telling you, I've been there a couple of there, There's something going on in these fights. Uh, all right. So let's change. It. Yeah. Yeah. Genau. Uh Great. But Brad, it's such a pleasure to do this podcast with you. I really enjoy it. A lot of fun. Uh, I assume some Art of Darkness listeners will come over here and check out Mouthing Off and vice versa. We really love doing it. Please come to the live show if you're in the Twin Cities or, or greater Minnesota. It's going to be in June. Everything's at badmouthtc.com. Amanda throwing it to you. Let's talk about the tarot. All right. I'm going to shuffle this deck and Brad, just give us a quick synopsis of Ooh, how okay. you got into the tarot. Ah, and, yeah, uh, and, and then I don't know, should I pull a card for you or do you ask a question? Get yeah. Um, let's see. So you can pull a card. Well, you can pull a card and how about I just tell you what some meanings are for it. And then we can all decide how much they apply to us individually. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I'll tell you how I got into it. So um, I had always had sort of esoteric leanings. I was interested in, um, uh, you know, different forms of consciousness and things like this. And then I, when I lived in Texas, going getting my MFA lo alongside Kevin, um, I went on a date with a girl who had a tarot deck. And mostly I just thought she was cute and I wanted to keep talking to her. So I was like, <laughs> all right, yeah, give me give me a tarot reading, I guess. Like I had no I had no particular desire to have a tarot reading. Um, I was just trying to be friendly, I guess. And then she gave she did a, a full um, Celtic cross spread and I had goosebumps at the end of it. Like I was like sort of shaken up slightly about it. Um, and it took me a little bit of a little while. Her and I ended up knowing each other for for about a year, 
And I got, a, I don't know, a handful of tarot readings along the way. But it kind of took me for a while before I realized like, oh, I need to know what this is. Why does this work? Mm. Why does every time she does these cards, I have this emotional response and it feels deeply meaningful to me. So, um, so yeah, that kind of took, sent me off uh, and I spent several years. There was a couple of years there where I like worked with it every day it was like every day you're going to read about it. You're going to pull a card. You're going to think about it. You're going to write about it. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I will keep shuffling. And when you okay. say stop, then we'll, uh, we'll pull a card. I think you could stop. <laughs> All right. So this is fun. Okay, what do you got? Oh, the Ten of Swords. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so this one's actually not too difficult to talk about. So there's a bunch of schools of thought on the tarot, how the tarot works. Um, it's You can think about it like martial arts, right? There's like jujitsu and taekwondo and kickboxing, and they're all slightly different, but they're all ways of like beating somebody up, right? <laughs> so there's different schools of thought on the tarot. Um, I borrow from a couple of them. Uh, the in the sort of the Jungian perspective, and this isn't Carl Jung himself saying this, but it's people taking Jung's thoughts and applying it to the tarot. Mm. They would say that swords represent the intellect or the cognitive part of the of the human experience, and I call it the problem solving part, the part of your brain that's always trying to like make things work. Um, and and using facts and rationality, right? Um, the Ten of Swords is you. Um, you can see in the card most depictions, uh, including your deck, has a person sort of face down with ten swords in their back. Um, mm. So clearly, there's like this backstabbing thing. You can say that's about betrayal, right? Um, the way that I read the tarot, I don't really talk about other people external to the querent. I talk more about these being processes inside your own head. So this would be how are you using your own, the own problem solving mechanism of your brain to defeat yourself and then using those defeats that you've created for yourself as excuses and sort of saying like, oh my gosh, look at how, look at all this all these problems I'm under, look at all these things that have happened to me. When each one of those things that has happened to you, your problem solving part of your brain has designated those as problems. So, you know, you can sort of say, well, this happens to me because of these reasons, right? Mm. Um, and you can be right. In a certain sense, you're right. It's not that you're completely lying to yourself, but, you know, you could look at those things as opportunities or you could look at the positive aspect of that or, or, or um, you know, understand that as one small piece of the puzzle. So if we see this card as just a one card reading, what I would think about is how am I, how am I defeating myself by using my intellect, right? By letting my intellect run the show. Um, and, you know, that can be negative self-talk that a lot of people have, or it's like, you know, where people will say to themselves, and this, I know a lot of people say this to themselves, they have a setback and they're like, oh, I'm stupid, right? Or I'm this, mm. or I'm that. The thing is, you kind of are that if you want to, like, if you decide that's what it is, right? There is reason to think you are stupid right? all the time. Um, Tell me about it. Right. But if you use that to like kill, your, stab your own, betray yourself, right? That's the mm. idea. You're stabbing yourself in the back with that designation rather than saying, you know what? I kind of screwed up the next time. Maybe I could be a bit smarter, right? Um, instead of kind of using it as an opportunity. So that's what that, that's what that one card's all about. 
I yeah, I, it's almost barely overthinking, isn't it? It's just mm-hmm. the absolute bottom, the cesspool of ideation, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think maybe uh, Mari. Should we do? Should we do a one card reading for Mari? Are you Ooh. into that right now, Mari? Odd, sure. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we've got a. I think Mari, you have to think of something okay. uh, that you're like, curious. Right, like a question mm. is, does this work like a magic eight ball? I have a deck back here, but I still <laughs> okay. think it works. Okay. I think we're gonna we're gonna triangulate all of this. So okay. this is gonna be yeah. great. We're gonna we're gonna give we're gonna pull a card in Minnesota mm-hmm. when Mari says go when she has okay. an idea in her mind. Don't tell us what it's about, Mari. Okay. Yeah. Don't or, tell us. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, Mari, we're gonna do one card at just um. Think I want question. I want Amanda to pull the card. Oh, right. okay. Yeah, oh. yeah, because I like the idea that we pull the card in Minnesota okay. for the querent in New York City for the reading from Michigan. There's something okay. delicious about this to me. Okay. I really like yeah. it. It's yeah. progression of everywhere I've yeah. ever lived. So yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's going to have lots of extra energy. This yeah. is exponentially mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. to be more profound because of the triangulation, yes. uh, the, yeah, the geospatial triangulation. Mari, so uh, I guess let us know when you're ready and Amanda will yeah. pull the card. If I could, uh, for people listening too, if you're going to ask a question in tarot, I suggest not asking yes or no questions um, and also kind of keeping it personal like the kind of things that i don't think work that well are like what does this person think about something or what is Mm. is this thing going to happen to me Uh, it's much to my in my opinion it's much better when it's about yourself if that makes sense but Mm. And it can be anything, though. Okay, right? I'm it can to be make the intention extremely clear, like blowing out birthday candles. <laughs> clear intention. Can't tell anybody what you're thinking. Yeah, correct. Yes, yep, that's tarot right. is just like birthday candles. <laughs> if I've learned that's anything, good... that's this I like episode. That. <laughs> I really like that. I'm going to use that. <laughs> okay. Okay, I've got it. She's got it. Go. All right. This is way too exciting. I yeah. know. I, I can't wait to the see the Knight of Pentacles. Oh, the Knight of Pentacles. Okay. All right. And I, I'm interpreting it, right? Is that, that the deal? Okay. So, Pentacles, in that model I was talking about before, where swords are about the mental part of uh, the cognitive part of life, right? The problem solver, rational part. Pentacles are about what you would call the sensorium or the actual physical world that you inhabit and how you interpret it. And so a lot of times this will get translated into issues about money um, and resources. Um, They can also have to do with um, you go one step beyond that. It can have to do with um, like relationships, not romantic relationships so much as like relationships that are mutually beneficial in some way it can also have to do with just physicality like physical pain even um now the knight of pentacles in the tarot you have ace through ten and then you have the court cards in just like in a poker deck except there are four court cards instead of three so you have the page the knight the king and the queen and the way that i like to think about these is you imagine in the Arthurian legend, how someone becomes the king, you start out as a like a page, right? And then you go through battle and then you become the king eventually of that suit. So the king would be someone who is um, very resourceful, very re- reliable, very realistic when they need to be um, uh, very. It's not even so much optimistic. It's not even so much optimistic as just sort of like cognitive aware of the possibilities of things like very much knows how to put the thing in reality 
Amanda, yeah. show just for 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 us here. Show mm-hmm. us the card again. Mm-hmm. This is the the Knight of Pentacles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Go on, Brad. Okay. Yeah. So if to become the king, to become this person who's very reliable, very confident in their uh, in their sort of bearing in the physical world, steady, supportive, kind of enterprising because they know how to make things happen in the real world. To get to that point, we have to go through a phase that is probably easiest to describe as sort of adolescent. Um, and that means that's what the that's what the night is. It requires bravery and sort of, excuse me, like really going for it. But we're not always going to make the right decisions. We're going to overdo it sometimes, right? So you might think um, you could be like, one way to think about it is like, you're a somebody who's careful with money. That's probably good. But there's also a way that you can be very miserly and sort of miss out on the opportunity of living, right? You can kind of overdo it on either side. You can be very reliable in one hand, and then you can be overbearing on everybody around you because of like how intense you are about being reliable, right? So that night phase is about trying to find that exact balance, right? And so you're going to overdo it. You're going to get it right sometimes. You're going to be walking that tightrope. And it's definitely like, it's a phase of, yeah, it's a phase of sorting that out. Um, you know, going off the road a little bit, you know how you go off the road a little bit and you got to kind of like turn the wheel slightly to get back on. This is about learning how to do that when it comes to the physical world, money, relationships, education, things like that. Brad Kelly is available for children's parties. Uh, he he is available for podcast uh, spots. And the last thing I want to talk about as I sort of bring us home is is one he did recently that does a deal with the tarot and all the rest. I saw Mari uh, uh, nodding her head. Now that and that was a single card. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so most readings are not one card readings. Uh, not to be too pointed about it, Mari, but did you get something out of that? Oh yeah, that that one was hidden. Okay. Okay, it good. Always, here's the thing about tarot. It always works. It always works. <laughs> I love that. Yes, it always works. Very, very good. And you you also do tarot readings for people. So I do, yeah. There I you do. go. Yeah. yeah. Bradkellyesque.com. The mm-hmm. link is a contact in, form on there. Yeah, in the show notes. El show notarinos. This has gone so fast. We've got Mm, maybe five, seven minutes remaining here on 94.1 FM Frogtown Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota, and online, the Frogtown Online in our minds. We really appreciate y'all listening. And uh, this is a, a real pleasure. I get to talk to Brad a lot, but a lot of the time it's it's all business for us, Brad. It is a lot yeah. of times. Yeah. 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 So sometimes I'll call Brad just while I'm driving right. around just so we can talk like normal people and right. not <laughs> podcasters. <laughs> like we, we can have private conversations mm-hmm. once in a while, Brad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you did a podcast uh, recently uh, with a friend of the show, um, Aldous Asterian mm-hmm. on Forest of Symbols, his podcast. Mm-hmm. And that was specifically about tarot in the work of Cormac McCarthy and mm-hmm. in particular the the great work the masterpiece blood meridian and i listened mm. to that and that was profound and intense mm. tell us a little bit about that and how you prepped for that yeah sure um so yeah if people may know blood meridian great novel about the south uh, about sort of what 1840s i think um and there's a centerpiece 
to that it's a novel. little maybe after, doesn't it occur it occurs across time because it was sort of after this after the civil war right too you're, you're yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah 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 you're yeah, correct yeah. Mm-hmm. um anyway fairly early on sort of like the fr- in the first third of the book um there is a tarot reading where the glanton gang who's the sort of main characters of the book um they are given a tarot reading by this sort of traveling um fortune teller um and it's there's a three-card reading, uh, the Fool, uh, the Four of Cups, and the Chariot, and the reading applies to the entire gang. Um, and Cormac McCarthy is very sly. He doesn't make any attempts to tell you what this is supposed to mean. This just happens. And you can very easily read the book and just go, well, that was odd. They had a tarot reading, and then they went on in a murdering spree, because that's what most of the book is about, is them going on this killing spree. Um, but... McCarthy was being very deliberate. He either knows the tarot very well or figured out enough of it to make these things function plot wise. Uh, the the fool card is all about it's the opening card of the major arcana. It's all about I mean, the central image is a person looking up in the sky and walking off a cliff. So it's about the kind of foolish bravery that it takes to do anything in the world in a way, he, right? He's just like me for real, for real. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I was going to say, is this bad mouth theater company? <laughs> <laughs> this is our, our tarot reading. And... Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. when Brad comes to town, maybe we do a little uh, in June, a little reading for the company. That could be fun. Oh, yeah. I'll, but... I'll, yeah. I'll throw a reading at anybody who wants one. So, um, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then after that, the, there's the four of cups, four of cups, cups are all about emotions, the unconscious and the four is to keep it sort of brief. It's a card about withdrawal, withdrawing, um, and, uh, feeling a certain degree of emptiness from sort of being offered the things of life and it feeling like it's not enough in some way. Um, and then the final card is the chariot and that card being part of the major arcana, you could talk for 12 hours about, excuse me, about what the chariot means. Y'all went so hard on that podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and if you're, and, yeah. and we're bringing this thing home, if you're mm-hmm. interested in that, uh, it's the forest of symbols podcast. That was a multi-hour episode, wasn't it? Brad? Yeah. I think we yeah. went for about two and a half hours. Yeah. Yeah. I learned quite um, a lot on that. And we always share the, the guest podcasts we do at artofdarkpod.com. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Brad. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out. It's, it's definitely worth, it's definitely worth listening to. I think, especially if you've le- read blood meridian, I think we're going to talk about some stuff that you haven't come across before. And Kevin, you asked me how I did research on that. I mean, I have a lot of tarot material, books, uh, meditations on the tarot, uh, a handful that Yodorowsky's work. Um, so I did that, but I also did a little bit of research um, that some other people had done on that, on that specific aspect of Blood Meridian, just to see what else was out there. Um, and there is some, some deep, you know, if you go into like the McCarthy Studies Journal in the late 90s, there's like an article um, <laughs> on tarot and blood meridian that had some pretty good stuff. So um, and it ends up it shows up throughout the book. You just don't know it unless you're looking for it. So tremendous. Really, yeah, this has been a real pleasure. Again, Brad Kelly in Michigan, Mari Sittner in New York City and Amanda Forstrom and me. Kevin Kautzman in Minnesota. We've enjoyed doing this hour for you. It's been a real pleasure, Brad. Thank you for coming. Thanks for uh, having me, Kevin. This is this is awesome. And thanks, yeah, to Mari and Amanda. It's good to see you guys, and good to talk for, talk to you for a bit. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yes. and if you want to get mm, and if you want to get more Brad Kelly, go to his website, bradkellyesque.com, and 
He's going to be here. He's going to be in St. Paul in June for Art of Darkness Live, Fitzgerald Part 1. All the details are at badmouthtc.com. This is Mouthing Off on Frogtown Radio 94.1 FM. Peace. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a card here pretty soon. Actually, you know what? I'll as we're as we're coming out of the episode here, um, Amanda, I'm gonna pull you a card. Start thinking about something. All right. Ooh. All right. Are we still going? <laughs> no, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna close out the episode now. But I'm gonna pull you a card. Oh, Maybe a little okay. little, little bit a little bit of mystery. I'll just say um, what that card is real quick. You ready? Okay. Okay. Clear your mind. Here we go. The Princess of Swords. Ooh. And Brad, Brad will have to give you a little uh, exegesis on this after we close out the episode. Okay. Peace, everybody. All All right. right. Take care. Bye.